The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. As you can tell, we are in the election day spirit here. I would tell you that I set up um, at a at a uh, penthouse in um, Washington D.C. so that I can do some live election coverage. But you all would know that uh, that's not, simply not true. I, I just have a green screen behind. Me. And actually, this software doesn't do as good of a job as the other software I was using. You can see there's kind of some weird stuff going on there. But I, I probably won't let it go the whole show. There's also a fuzz on the microphone. I need to get rid of. Anyway, we have a great show tonight. We're going to be talking about ghosts and paranormal encounters. In fact, our guest, John Russell, who's a psychic and an author, has had over 800 paranormal manifestations. That's his latest count. Something over 800. We'll be talking about those encounters. Plus, we'll talk about his new book called called Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. Plus, his work as a psychic. A lot of stuff uh, that John has to talk about. We'll have fun doing that with him. But I hope you had fun um, with us on Halloween. You know, we kind of just flew by the seat of our pants. See, the original intention here was, I thought it would be a lot of fun if Britt Griffith and I, both who had been involved in Ghost Hunters, uh, and both who have done a tremendous amount of paranormal investigating and events in other places, I thought it would be a tremendous amount of fun if we did this ghost hunting game, Phasmophobia. What we didn't count on is that we didn't know how to play it. And we also didn't count on the fact that it, uh, given the technicalities of having three or four people, well, there's only three, I think, when we were playing it, involved, it was kind of hard to follow who was who. So we're going to refine that idea, and we'll find another way to do it. But we did have fun playing the board game on uh, Saturday night and watching the movie. Remember, it's just, it's really just about having a, a relaxing, good time without having to do too much work. I have enough work to do for this show. I don't really want to have to work too much harder for the weekend stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just just the way it is. Call me lazy. doesn't matter. Anyway, what else do we have to talk about? No, I don't think there really is anything. Please uh, do all your uh, subscribing. Subscribe on the uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel. Subscribe on the Twitch channel. Follow us on Facebook. All of those things. I'm, I'm looking for a way to get off Facebook completely. I am not... I, uh, I'm having trouble with uh, with what's going on with um, with Facebook, Twitter, and Google, and all this stuff. And uh, when I find an alternative, you can bet that's what I'm going to be doing. So I only hesitantly ask you to follow us on Facebook. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have our guest again. Tonight we're talking with John Russell. He's an author and a psychic. His new book is called Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. That's our discussion tonight on Beyond Reality. Hey gang, JV here. You know that great nutrition can lead to a great life. Healthy, happy, rewarding. But that nutrition simply cannot be found in the foods we eat alone. Take a minute and assess your health. The way you feel. The way your family feels. The way your kids feel. Health is more than just feeling well. It's also making sure you have a strong immune system, especially in these trying times. Vitamins aren't enough alone. In fact, they have to be the right vitamins, the right supplements made from the most effective ingredients. Otherwise, they don't do the job. It makes the world of a difference. There's a new website you can visit that'll help you navigate these ideas and guide you to better health. There's no obligation. Just visit MyHealthRocksNow.com. That's MyHealthRocksNow.com and start feeling better today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Thank you for being with us tonight to answer your question, Gene. What's wrong with Facebook is that they have decided to become politically active and censor and filter things that they don't have the right to censor and filter, particularly if they're going to get a liability exemption from Congress. And I have a real problem with that. You know about that because I've talked about it in this program many, many times. I think the free flow of information, regardless of where it's coming from, even if it's inaccurate, provides the basis for basis for good debate and it provides the basis for progress when we're talking about issues so that's what i am talking about but i appreciate the question anyway tonight that's not what we're going to be talking about in fact tonight we're going to be talking about ghosts we're going to be talking about paranormal experiences our guest tonight john russell is a psychic and an author He's got a new book out. It's called Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. John, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's a real pleasure to have you with us tonight, the first show after the Halloween weekend. Welcome to the show. Hey, JV. I appreciate it so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate you inviting me, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, I know that uh, things are a bit uh, unusual in 2020, so everything that comes and goes is a little different than maybe it would be in a normal year. But having said that, anything special on Halloween for you? Well, you know, um, I think the the other side is a little bit closer than it has been in times past. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many people that are uh, discouraged, that are worried. I think more people are praying, more people are meditating, more people are trying to get some sense of spiritual closeness and uh, some guidance and help and direction. So I think things are a little... Uh, a little closer than they have been. Do you do anything special for Halloween? Any special readings or anything that you wouldn't do during the normal course of a regular day? Uh, not for me. For me, it's uh, you know the the paranormal for me is twenty four seven. So it's pretty much business as usual for me. Yeah, kind of, kind of for me too. Although I'm a horror movie fan, so Halloween season uh, in, the, in the month of October <laughs> is my favorite because I get to nestle in with Turner Classic Movies and watch some of those classic there horror films from Universal and, and you know the 30s and the 40s and whatever it happens to be. It's really it's my sweet right. spot, and I I really enjoy it. How um how did this get started for you? When did it start, and how did it start? Well, my psychic gift started. Um, actually, I should say really before the psychic gift, I had a visitation from an old black ghost, and that was the being, the entity that came and opened up the portal to all of my psychic experiences, and that happened when I was a very young child, and then uh, from that, subsequent to that experience, uh, I began to know that I could, uh, I found out that I could read people's thoughts, that I could read their minds. Uh, I could tell where they had been, what they'd been doing. I knew if people were lying or not, and then uh, it, it developed from there. And that started when I was about six years old. So you had a visit. You had a visitation from a spirit, and that spirit did it do something that opened that portal for you? Did it communicate with you so it, it to, to tell you how to open up the portal? Portal, or how did that work? No, uh, it just just by virtue of uh, of it coming. It opened up that portal, and I was, like I said, I was about five then, I guess. Wow. And I was absolutely sound asleep and instantly wide awake for no apparent reason, 
And I thought, well, this is strange. So I raised up on my elbows in bed and kind of looked around. And down the hallway, and my parents had put a, a nightlight in the hallway for me. And down the hallway from the nightlight glow, I could see this old black man staring at me from around the corner of the door. And I screamed bloody murder. And we, we were a white family, didn't have anyone black living with us. So what I had assumed as a kid was an intruder had gotten in the house. Sure, it's what you would think initially, right? Yeah. And uh, when I screamed... He came all the way around the doorway into the hall so I could see him clearly. He had uh, close-cropped white hair. He wore a, a plaid shirt and had it on uh, khaki pants, black shoes, black belt. And uh, he just stood there and <laughs> stared at me, and I screamed bloody murder. And as my parents started to come running, uh, he disappeared like the Cheshire Cat, if you will. He disappeared starting with his feet, and his body disappeared all the way up to his head, and then his head disappeared, and he vanished. And uh, I, I told my parents there's somebody in the house, and they were like, no, no, you just had a bad dream. And I was so insistent, and I was so scared that they actually opened all the closets, they looked under all the beds, they checked all the rooms, the doors, the windows, and, of course, the house was locked up tight. Nobody was there physically. But uh, I knew that I had just seen my first ghost, and I didn't know why he had come, and I was afraid the rest of the night, you know, to go back to sleep. Is he going to come again? Is he going to say something to me? What's he going to want from me? And he was there just to open that portal up. And once that happened, then I began to have all these psychic experiences. And I have to add, that's the only time I've ever been truly scared or truly afraid of any paranormal experience. And I attribute that just to being, you know, I was a kid and thought there was an intruder in the home. Did... And since then, yeah, go ahead. No, no, since then, go ahead. Uh, since then, I've been startled. You know, obviously, if you if you know the house is locked up tight and you're the only one home, and you turn around and you see somebody there, it startles you for a moment, and then they disappear, and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> so I've been startled a few times, but I've never been truly afraid since then. Did you ever get a return of that particular spirit or ghost? Did you ever see that man again? I have not. It was just really interesting. It was just like he was uh, was there to open up the portal and to... Uh, to enable me to activate that gift or to become aware that that gift had been activated. And then his work was done, and he, he went on. And what about uh, in retrospect? Have you been able to connect any dots to figure out who that person may have been and why that spirit visited you? I have not. Um, I think for, for one thing, uh, you know, as to, as to who the person might have been, um, I think it was just... Uh, I don't even know that it was the spirit of someone that used to be alive and then was deceased mm -hmm. and came back. I, I can't even put that tag on it. I think it may have just been some entity in the other realm saying, hey, it's, it's time to wake this guy up. And uh, as far as the appearance goes, I think, uh, you know, his appearance was so memorable and so startling, and I think that kind of served to, to be the, uh, the wake-up call for me, so to speak. And and was it immediately after that visitation? I think you said you were five years old. Did you, at five years old, recognize at that point that things had changed for you, that you had sensitivities and basically connections to the spirit realm you may not have had prior to that, those few minutes? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And between the ages of five and six, then, uh, things began to really intensify. And uh, the the hallmark of all my experiences, you know, I say I've had way over 800 paranormal experiences and the hallmark of those, these are not things that I've dreamed or envisioned or imagined or hallucinated or daydreamed. These are actual real experiences that occur on the physical realm, and a lot of times they're witnessed by other people. 
Uh, we've managed to photograph, video some of them, and uh, re audio record some of them. So uh, the, the real experiences begin to occur. And when they did, I was fortunate enough that in my household, uh, this was looked upon as normal because we come from a long line of people that had gifts. And so it was a normal thing. And, uh, you know, my parents answered my questions the best that they could. And then as I got older, uh, around the age of 12, I began to study everything I could get my hands on as far as the, the paranormal, the psychic realm, mediumship, religion, psychology, parapsychology, everything I could get my hands on because I wanted to learn. I wanted to explore and expand why was this happening and, uh, you know, how could I make it better? How could I be more accurate with it? What was truthful and what wasn't? What worked and what didn't? So that, that began a lifelong quest. Uh, I should mention, just before we get any further in th into the discussion, there are a couple of web websites you can visit for uh, information about John and his book. His book's website is writingwithghosts.net, and his the website which he where he discusses his professional uh, services that he offers through uh, psychic readings and the like is John Russell and Russell's with two L's dot net. John, you said that your family this was not something abnormal for them. They actually were kind of used to that because they had gifts. How how active were was anyone in your family with any of this stuff? Uh, not nearly as active as I was. Not mm -hmm. nearly as active as I became. Uh, it was confined to uh, the family mostly with, there were some people that had some good psychic sense and were a little above average in uh, predicting things or knowing things, that type of thing, but not nearly uh, to the level that I was, to the degree that I was. And uh, there was some uh, the history of rich paranormal experience in our family, uh, you know, with these concrete uh, physical manifestations from the other side, but nobody in the family experienced them to the degree that I did, to the magnitude that I did, I, I was like a magnet for it and still am. So at five years old, you cross this threshold by having this visitation. You start to develop and, and actually research the phenomena and the ideas. And right. at some point, as a relatively young person, you actually start putting this to use in what we would call a professional sense. However, you know, I, I, I hesitate using the word professional when it comes to the paranormal. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I became uh, a, a professional reader by the time I was 18, and uh, defining professional as, uh, you know, receiving money for it. Right. And uh, up until then, I was, you know, about the age of 12 to uh, 15, 16, 17, uh, I was reading for friends and family and had kind of started to gain a following already. And uh, then by the age of 18, I made the decision to begin to read professionally, uh, and I've done that you know, to one degree or the other ever since. And uh, people always say, you know, well, uh, if, if you have these gifts and if you can help people, if you can do this thing, why do you charge? You know, that's always the issue. Why do you charge? Well, here's why. I go to the grocery store and I push my buggy full of groceries up to the <laughs> checkout. And the managers happen to be standing there. And uh, I tell the manager, I say, you know what? So I'm this, this uh, professional psychic. I've been a professional psychic for almost half a century. I've read for clients in over 30 countries around the world. Uh, my clients tell me my predictions, my insights are 80 to 90% accurate over the years. And you know what? I see something about you and your grandmother and da-da-da-da-da. So I go into detail and I tell him all this. And he goes, oh, my God, that's fantastic. There's only me and one other person in the world that, that even knows this. This is great. This is wonderful. And then I tell him about my book and... We discuss my gifts, and, and he's just gobsmacked and shell-shocked and like, wow, this is just amazing. 
and then he thanks me and walks off, and the clerk says, that'll be $137.14 for your groceries. So, And then I never hear from the manager again. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I have to charge for the gift. If people want me to do this full-time, I have to make a living somehow. So. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and it is your time, too. You know, I mean, you're not necessarily yeah, charging absolutely. for the gifts. You're charging for the, the time, and, and that's, that's certainly exactly understandable. Um, what do you think about the... the I'll use the word profession. What do you think about the profession as a whole? There are some people that do take advantage of others, though. Oh, my. Listen, the profession is full of phonies and frauds and con artists, and people need to be so incredibly careful. And they really need to to watch what they believe and who they believe and what goes on. Uh, Some of these phony psychics and con artists, especially the the $10 special reading psychics. <laughs> and then you go in, and from there, it costs you thousands or ten thousands of dollars for as long as they can milk you. And a lot of these people use sleight-of-hand magic. And to the uninitiated, it looks like a genuine, honest-to-God, supernatural miracle has just happened right before their very eyes. And if you studied magic, which I have since I was a kid, always loved magic, and if you studied magic, you recognize, you realize what these people are doing is simple sleight of hand magic. And if you're in the know, it's so ridiculously easy and so ridiculously simple. If you don't know how it's done, it looks like an honest-to-God miracle. So you just have to be so cautious and so careful. And one of the things I tell people, the easy way to spot a fraud, if it always happens, if they can always manifest something, that's a fraud because the genuine gift doesn't manifest on a 100% reliable timetable. Uh, another way you can tell, exorbitant amounts of money. Another way you can tell, uh, you've got a curse around you, and I can get rid of this curse. And then it's increasing amounts of money to mm-hmm. do that. So those are some of the things you have to watch for. And then, you know, there are some people out there that do have a legitimate gift, but they have a bias with it. And they'll receive accurate information from the other side, but they'll run that information through their own filter of likes and dislikes, and it comes to the client then very diluted or obscured or maybe even a little inaccurate after that. And one of the things I've prided myself on when I read for my clients, it's I'm going to give it to you straight. The guys are going to give it to me straight. I'm going to give it to you just like they gave it to me, and that's it. You know, do with it what you will, but I'm not going to tell you, well, I think you should because I don't do that. Every, every bit of information I get comes from the other side, and I give it to my client undiluted. Do you think that the public and people in general have gotten a little more sophisticated over sophisticated over time? I mean, we always have we have these uh, visions of Victorian type seances with you know somebody right. with a with a with a white dress on, kind of peering out from behind a, a black curtain, and that right. was an experience. Do you think people yep. have have gotten a little more sophisticated over time? Unfortunately, no. We like to think that we have, but we haven't, and uh, that's evidenced by the fact that so many people still get taken in by these con artists and phonies and frauds, and uh, and I've had to deal with that. I've had to rescue people um, from the clutches of, of these frauds, uh, people that have called me up and said, oh, God, you know, I'm, I'm $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 into uh, this this phony psychic or medium or whatever, and I've had to explain to people how they how this was done to them and how to get rid of that and how to realign their thinking to understand, you know, how a true connection with the other side works. And it's really heartbreaking. And the thing of it is, you know, well, people do that. They're so stupid they deserve what they get. Let me tell you, a lot of times, the smarter you are, the easier it is to fool you. 
And these people are expert con artists and expert manipulators, and they know how to adapt to any person from any stature, any status in life, any social strata. And uh, I'd like to think that we've gotten a lot smarter, but unfortunately we haven't. There's still too many people out there uh, that are conned and taken advantage of. One example, I mean, Popoff, the evangelist, uh, he comes on the air again with his miracle holy water. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. know? And you know he's going to make a fortune off of that. Right. It's just so sad and so ridiculous. But, you know, eventually he's going to make a fortune off of that. For people that don't know, uh, Peter Popoff was this evangelist. And uh, in his early days, when he was young, he gained fame for being able to tell people in the audience, oh, I, I, you live at 1234 Elm Street, and, and your grandmother's sick, and you're here for prayer. Holy cow. And then somebody over here, you have a specific da-da-da-da-da. And he would go into all this detail, and people were like, it's got to be a gift from God. How could he know these things otherwise? Well, they collected prayer cards <laughs> with people's <laughs> names, addresses, what they were praying for, and so on and so forth, what conditions they were seeking to improve and everything. And they ferried all these backstage to his wife, who was sitting backstage with a transmitter, pop off for a little receiver in his ear, a very small receiver that you couldn't see hidden in his ear, and then his wife would broadcast to him, uh, so-and-so sitting in the third row with a yellow shirt, da-da-da-da-da, their name is so-and-so, and they're da-da-da-da-da. And so he would, <laughs> would just parrot off what she was feeding him through the microphone. And the way that was discovered was some researchers took a, uh, a scanning radio to one of the services uh, and had it disguised and took it in with them and sit there and scanned all the available radio frequencies until they heard his wife say, Hi, PD, this is your wife. I love you. I hope you're listening. <laughs> Was there a film made about this? Because this, uh, this story, I, I, I've seen a movie about this, I think. Um, May have been. I don't know. I couldn't say for I, sure. I, I'm, I, there, if, if it wasn't based on this, it was based on the concept, and it was basically right. that same gimmick. Uh, I'm trying to remember yeah. what it was called. Man, uh, it wasn't that long ago I saw that. But then again, I can't remember what I watched yesterday, even this morning for that matter. <laughs> so I'll probably never come up with the title. Um, I just want to go back to how, when this the beginning of this for you. Uh, sure. when, when the threshold... When, when the portal was opened by this visitation, what came first? Was it more paranormal experiences where you, you, you suddenly had this ability to, to sense these paranormal things around you, or was it the psychic, psychic ability, or is it one and the same? It was one and the same. They both seemed to develop simultaneously uh, and at about the same strength. And then, I mean, as you sit here today, I mentioned in in the opening of the show, you've already mentioned it uh, once, you've had over 800 paranormal experiences. Explain right. to me the, what you mean by paranormal experience. These aren't all uh, full-bodied apparitions, I would assume. A lot of them are. But, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and, and over 800 is a conservative estimate. Um, these are things that um, uh, things appear that weren't there. Things that were there, you turn around, turn back, they're gone, they disappear. Uh, full-bodied apparitions, uh, physical manifestations such as uh, doors rattling and, and being pulled on when there's no there's no wind, there's no draft, there's nothing open, and, and uh, you go and you, you jerk the door open and no one is there physically in the flesh. Uh, all kinds of manifestations uh, in nature, in my house, uh, everywhere I go, there's, I remember one time I was in the grocery store shopping on an early Sunday morning. Nobody was there. It, the place was just deserted. And it was a, a grocery store. Most grocery stores do have these big high ceilings with open beams way up there. There's, there's you know, nothing up there. 
and uh, the aisles. You can see over the tops of the aisles through that airspace. And so I was there, and I, there was hardly anybody at all in the store. And I went down this one aisle, and this man and his wife uh, turned the corner, rounded that aisle, coming up the other way of the same aisle that I was on. And right before they they got to me, uh, you know, got got side by side to me there in the aisle, this coin falls straight down out of the air, hits the floor loudly, bounces loudly a few times. And, of course, there's nobody up there. You can see the open right, the sure. Open there's nothing there. And it just falls straight down right there in front of us. And I'm like, oh, hi, guys. And <laughs> <laughs> this guy looks at his wife, and he goes, did you see that? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, look at that. Where did that coin come from? It just, out of thin air, it just dropped down. There's no place for that to have come from, and nobody could have thrown it. It came straight down right here in front of us. And she's like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on. And he's all enthralled, and she's like, mm, ain't, ain't having none of it, ain't talking about it. Come on, let's go, let's go. <laughs> so you get right there a, a microcosm of how people react to the supernatural. You know, some people are like, wow, what's that? Let's investigate that. And other people are like, nope, don't want nothing to do with it. Moving on. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But I've had a lot of experiences happen like that. And uh, so it's it's been a very interesting life, a very fun life. I've seen a lot of amazing things. And uh, it's just, uh, it, it continues to happen, and it's, it's really wonderful. Are most of your encounters, uh, obviously the, the, the grocery store one is kind of an anomaly in a, in a way, but are most of your encounters uh, happen during a, a point while you're seeking them, whether you're doing some type of reading or you're doing an investigation, or do they just occur to you as you just, as you just detailed for us, walking through the grocery store? Where does well, it happen it, most it, often? Yeah, it's, it's all the time. It's like 24-7, and I can be seeking it, and they happen. I, I will not seek them, and they happen. Uh, like I said, I'm just a magnet for it. I'm a portal for it, and things happen around me, and I'll... Uh, even where I've been opens up like doorways and portals to uh, to further experiences. Like, for example, I uh, shot a, a TV pilot for the History Channel on the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And um, after we were done filming my part, they had a reenactment crew uh, go back and they filmed the reenactments in the areas we had been. And my producer told me, he said, man, he said, all those places we went and the manifestations and things that occurred there, while you were there, they kept happening, and the crew would be there filming, and like objects would move several inches on their own while the crew was filming and things like that. So uh, it's it happens constantly. It happens all the time. And like I say, for me, it's, it's like an everyday thing, but uh, it has scared people off from being my friend because, you know, you tell people, okay, all these things happen. They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I believe in the paranormal, but no big deal. I've had experiences. And then one of these things happened, people are like, this is a little too intense, dude. You know, I can't hang around you. I've literally had people run from me when I showed them things that I could do psychically or paranormally, and they have literally run. They've literally <laughs> ran out of the house. Uh, uh, one of our uh, chatters uh, asked a question I wanted to pass on to you because I thought it was a good one here. Sure. Do you think that uh, whether it's the federal government or governments in general, are aware of how real this paranormal phenomena is because they won't ever acknowledge it, at least not in an official capacity. Even things like UFOs, we're just starting to see maybe some mild disclosure there. But in general, is the government aware of paranormal phenomena, and are they keeping it from us? Oh, absolutely. There's not any any shadow of a doubt there. Uh, For one thing, 
and I'll get back to the, the strictly paranormal, but let's address the UFO issue since that's been in the news. Um, you know, we have the, uh, the fighter plane footage of the UFOs, which has been verified now by the government and the mainstream news as UFOs, uh, a threat to national security, and, and on and on and on. Now, that is an amazing admission in and of itself, especially to be acknowledged in the mainstream news uh, media. That's just astonishing in and of itself. But uh, then uh, Senator Harry Reid comes along and was asked the questions, uh, you know, how much of this is uh, do we know and do we not know and how much is being disclosed? And they finally come out and acknowledge this. How much is still hidden? And Harry Reid said, this is only the tip of the iceberg. He said they know and they're sitting on uh, a ton of knowledge and information about UFOs. So, yes, the government absolutely hides that for whatever reasons, and that's what investigators have been trying to figure out for years and years and years. And then as far as the uh, the psychic and the paranormal, um, it's been documented now in absolutely irrefutable uh, documentaries. I've watched uh, a few of them here just recently on, uh, on Amazon Prime, and some of the uh, government's Key figures have come out, have come out, and people that are absolutely verifiable, people that are absolutely in the top uh, levels of government, people that are in the top levels of the military, uh, other people that are in top levels of things, and they have said yes, we we had a psychic remote viewing program, and uh, and one of the documentaries, uh, the um, the people uh, that were involved in this said that you know. The, the scuttlebutt on the street was, yeah, we tried it, but it didn't work, and we disbanded it. And the people that were actually in the program, and the government and military leaders and the intelligence officials that were actually in the program have started to break ranks and come out and speak about it and say, yes, we had it. Yes, it worked beyond any shadow of a doubt. And that one of the – I found this so interesting because we still deal with this problem in, in all realms of the paranormal – uh, they said that one of the main problems in continuing to investigate paranormal activity and continuing to investigate UFOs is there is a huge conservative Christian contingent in the power echelon that wholesale dismisses all of this as of the devil, of the dark side, as being evil. And so we don't discuss it, we don't investigate it, we leave it alone, it's evil. <laughs> and so that's one of the mindsets that we still have to combat in investigating this and, and moving forward with it. But um, it's like the uh, the late Stanton Friedman used to say, you know, he, he would respond to critics who said, well, we don't have any evidence. And he said there's so much overwhelming evidence that a blind man could see it. And it's the same with uh, the fact that the government uh, knows about paranormal activity, has used paranormal activity, uh, knows about the UFOs, and there's overwhelming evidence out there. The documentaries are easy to find. Uh, the government people are easy to find, and, and all this is coming out. Um, Uri Geller, uh, who uh, gave me an endorsement for my book, bless his heart, and I met Uri, and he is the real deal. And Uri, on his website now, has a statement from the CIA saying, yes, <laughs> he demonstrated his paranormal ability uh, accurately, truthfully, and it really worked, and, and we can testify to that. So, yeah, the government knows. They've known for a real long time. Our response to... Uh, the paranormal activity and things was in response to the USSR at the time of the Cold War 
because they had they were working big time deep into the paranormal, seeing what they could discern remotely, if they could influence people, if they could assassinate people psychically, so on and so forth. So we developed our programs basically in response to that, as far as I can tell. There's a lot that uh, is assumed that the government is aware of. Um, I often find it a little bit difficult to understand why we don't get more frequent deathbed confessions. You know, we get some. Uh, We don't, I don't know, we have presidential candidates, and I haven't heard of any of it this year, but in the past we've had presidential candidates who will say, if I'm elected, uh, this I'm going to disclose all of the... this." The yeah, exactly, yeah. and then it just yeah. it just disappears, you know? Then no, then well, it's never I'll, mentioned I again. I, can, I think I can tell you why. Um, one reason we don't get more deathbed confessions, people take their security oath so seriously that it's absolutely unreal. A dear friend of mine who's now on the other side is, uh, was a retired major from the Air Force, and he had worked in intelligence, and he had done work for the, uh, the NSA and so on and so forth. And he had uh, several top security clearances, and, you know, he took his oath at, so seriously that after he was retired for several years and he knew about my gift and um, believed in the paranormal believed in what I did, and we would discuss things, and he would tell me a little snippet of something that the military was capable of or knew or did way back when, and then just immediately shut himself up, like, I'm, I'm not saying anymore, I shouldn't even told you that. Wow. And so, you know, people take their security clearances so seriously that, you know, even at the deathbed, they're reluctant to, to come out with that information because they, they hold that vow they've made sacred, and there's people like, well, look at Luis Elizondo and the, the documentaries, the TV shows he's producing mm-hmm. on the UFOs. And people will ask him questions about things, and he'll say, um, I can't comment on that, or I won't comment on that. So, you know, even he is, as much as he's wanting to get this information out there, there are things that he's vowed to, to not disclose mass, uh, national security matters, and he'll just say, I'm, I, I'm not going to discuss that, or I can't discuss that. And the other thing is fear. And I discovered this. When I was many, many years ago, I guess decades ago now, uh, they have a, an annual thing in uh, Roswell for the UFO thing. That's where I first saw uh, Stanton Fr- uh, Friedman speak. I was there doing readings. And um, before I, I started for the day, I went uh, downtown to the Roswell UFO Museum, and I wanted to get in there and, and uh, see that. This okay, I've been there, you know, the typical touristy thing, even for a psychic, got to go do it. And so I was standing out front on the sidewalk waiting for the museum to open. I was looking at the, you know, the window displays, posters, whatever they had up there. And uh, this woman walks by, and she said, have, just out of the blue stops, we start having a conversation. Have you been in yet? I said, no, this is my first time here. I said, I was actually born in Carlsbad, but I've never lived in New Mexico. and This is my first time in Roswell, my first time at the UFO Museum. She goes, oh, what do you do? And I told her, well, I'm a psychic, and I'm here at the at the UFO thing, and uh uh, she was like, oh, wow, really neat. And we get to talking, and we get to talking about the, the crashed saucer there in Roswell. And she tells me, me and my brother were outside playing when this thing came over, came down, and crashed. We saw it, we saw it come over, and we saw the, you know, the, the evidence of the crash over in the distance. Oh, wow. And she said, it was not a plane, was not a helicopter was not a weather balloon, it was a UFO. And and she said that her and her brother saw it. 
and I was just, I was like, wow, this is amazing to be standing here and just meet someone by chance, quote unquote, yeah, and and have them tell me the story and that they were actually a witness to this, and we began to discuss it further, and uh, I was like, you know, well, gosh, you know, you saw this, your brother saw this, your family must have seen it, been involved, so many, there were so many witnesses to this or whatever. Why was there not more disclosure or more a push for more disclosure or whatever? And uh, she told me that the everyone that witnessed this there in Roswell at the time, that military people and other people contacted them and told them, quote, unquote, you mentioned this, you and your family's bones will be found out in the desert. Oh, wow. And then she looked around, snapped her head around, looked up and down the street several times and said, I've said too much already. I'm out of here. So the fear was still there after all these years that, you know, she would meet the stranger on the street and, and tell me this and then tell me about the threats to the people there and then go, you know, oh, geez, I, I shouldn't have said this. I've said too much and gone. So that's a lot of the reason there is, you know, people take their vows of, of uh, secrecy seriously, the, the non-disclosure agreements in the military and things. They take those very seriously, almost as a, a sacred pact. And then the other thing is fear. You know, people have been threatened and told not to say anything. And, uh, you know, they're scared. It's like, if you're not scared, well, you know, I can, I can get your wife and kids and their bones will be out in the desert. Okay, well, I don't care about me. I'm not afraid, but I don't want anything happening to the wife and kids. So those types of stories are very common uh, where people have been, uh, been threatened and uh, so on and so forth. So that's a lot of the problem that we encounter as well, not only the... Uh, uh, the religious biases, but uh, these other things that we have to deal with. We're talking tonight with John Russell, psychic and author. His new book is called Writing with Ghosts, Angels and the Spirits of the Dead. John, one thing on your website that I noticed, and you have a couple of websites. One is your name, johnrussell.net. The other is writingwithghosts.net, which is right. more specific to the book. But one of the things I noticed on your website, johnrussell.net, is that you make a real uh, point of talking about labels, uh, things like um, clairvoyance and remote viewing. Right. Uh, why is that an important point to make? For me, it's like, you know, every everything comes along and it's new and it's exciting and, oh, wow, and so follow me, pay me money, take my workshop, do this, do this. And all of these labels that we come up with are things that have always existed and always been done by psychics and mediums. We just give them a new name. So remote viewing, that's clairvoyance, you know. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. all of these things that we slap these new labels on have been around forever and a day. There's not anything really new there. Uh, people come up with these new quote-unquote techniques or religious movements or spiritual movements or whatever. And if you examine them closely at their base, they're just things that people have always done. They put a new label on it and uh, sometimes charge an exorbitant amount of money for it. So to me it's important that we don't get lost in these labels and... Uh, you know, people say, well, are you a psychic or are you a medium? I'm both. You know, any good psychic is also a medium. You you contact the dead. You communicate with the dead. And, uh, you know, I do clairvoyance. I do clairaudience. You know, I, I hear uh, spirit voices and things. I do EVP. I record electronic voice phenomenon. I've been able to demonstrate uh, kinetic activities. Uh, I do psychometry. I own and own and own and own and own. So anybody that has a gift should open and expand that gift to include all areas. And uh, so it, it bothers me when people say, oh, if you're, you're psychic, you're not a medium. I need a medium. Well, 
any good psychic should be a medium, you know, and so on and so forth. So let's get rid of the labels. Let's put it all under the sum of paranormal or psychic or whatever and uh, and continue to uh, investigate it as respectably as we can and, uh, you know, see what we can do with it and how we can benefit and help each other with it. So that's why I'm against against labels. And also, you know, we label each other religiously. We label each other in church. And Lord, the Baptist church up the street can't get along with the Baptist church down the street. And, you know, it's like, well, you got to sprinkle, uh, you know, if no, you got to be immersed to be baptized. Well, if my uh, guy's on the deathbed, I can go in and sprinkle him and he's going to be saved and go to heaven. No, no, no. You'd have to take him out of the bed and say, you know, oh, my God. Oh, no, 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 no. So we have all these religious schisms and we have spiritual schisms within the psychic and paranormal community. And it's just, uh, that's what hinders us and keeps us from moving forward in constructive ways is all these labels. When you talk about new labels and new words that uh, basically describe or just uh, are a, a, a change of an old word but with the same definition, right. um, two words come to mind for me, and they're not labels per se, but they're words that right. are used very, very frequently in these discussions, and I want your opinion on them. You may say to me, oh yeah, these are very, very important, or you, you may say these are just fancy buzzwords that are people people are using, but I I very, very frequently hear the words vibration and frequency when right. talking about um, this type of phenomena. What do those right. words mean to you? Well, you know, those words go back to the spiritualist movement a long time ago. People have always talked about, let's raise the vibrations in the room to a higher vibration so that we attract higher-minded entities or have a, a more positive environment, a more positive... So people have always used the word uh, vibration and, you know, intensity of of uh, experience or interaction or whatever. So those have been around for a long time, and they're viable, but uh, they can be bandied about in such a way that they become meaningless. And um, I do believe when you say vibrations, I think really a lot of times what you're referring to is like frequencies or waves or, you know, some type of of portal of communication or a wave of communication. Think of radio waves. uh, Think of cell phone transmissions, that type of thing. So a lot of times when you say vibrations, that can mean that as well. Uh, vibrations can mean, uh, I just don't get a good vibe there. I don't get a good vibration from that place. It can mean the uh, the feeling of the energy that comes from there. Uh, the vibration can mean also let's, let's raise our vibrations, let's raise our, our thought processes to something higher and greater than just, the, you know, who's going to win the football game or whatever. Let's get out of that and into a more spiritual mindset, a more spiritual mode. So... Um, you know, those those uh, terms do have value if you know what they mean, if you know how to apply them. But a lot of people, like you say, they just apply catchwords. But, yeah. yeah, they do have merit, yeah. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also our Twitch channel. Both are easy to find. Just look for J.V. Johnson. And if you are listening to the show as a podcast, we appreciate that as well. The show is being downloaded something in the neighborhood of 6,000-plus times a day. Thank you so much to all of our podcast listeners. Please share that with your friends as well. The podcast version of the show is available on all of the major podcast distribution platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Again, tonight we're talking with John Russell. He's a psychic and an author. He's got a new book out. It's called Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. John, tell us about this book. Oh, this was exciting. This uh as I mentioned before, I shot a, uh, a TV pilot for the History Channel, uh, which unfortunately didn't air. And I became friends with the producer, and we uh, started discussing ways uh, to um, 
to get a TV show, a TV series on the air, uh, utilizing my psychic gifts. Well, many years ago, and a lot of the, the younger people won't know this, old guys like me, they'll cotton on to it. There was a short-lived TV series, ran a couple of years, called Then Came Bronson. And it was this guy who was a corporate type, and uh, he began to question the meaning of life and why am I here and all that. So he sells everything, gets this uh, motorcycle, packs a minimal amount of gear on it, and heads out just across America, just going to discover America, discover himself, see if he can find the meaning of life, no aim, no purpose. And um, it was a very impactful show to all who love motorcycles, and I've been an avid rider since I was about 15. And so I told my producer, I said, look, let's do the paranormal, then came Bronson. I said, I'll come into town on my motorcycle. We'll investigate whatever we're investigating paranormally, wrap it up, come to some conclusion of some type. Then I'll roar out of town on the bike, and we'll go to the next town. Let's try that. So we began to run that up the flagpole. Unfortunately, nobody saluted. And uh, we, um, my producer said, you know, he said, write a blog and just put little short snippets of some of these many incredible paranormal experiences you've had, and we'll use that as an additional promotional tool. So right there, he unwittingly gave me the idea for the book, and I didn't even realize it at the time. So I began to do this little short blog, and uh, around that time, there were all these experiences that happened to me specifically relating to me being on the bike. Now, like I say, I've ridden since I was 15, 16, and I've never had the quantity and the magnitude and the quality of paranormal experiences related to motorcycling that suddenly began to happen. So I began to incorporate those into the blog, and I said, you know, these stories are so detailed, so rich, so incredible, so bizarre, so wonderful, that I've got to expand them, uh, tell the whole story behind each one, and uh, group them together, and I did, and the result is writing with ghost angels and the spirits of the dead. So is are the stories that you talk about in the book all things that you experienced as you were riding from town to town? Um, not, not exclusively. Okay. I do some, I do some flashbacks in the book to my old hometown and discuss some of the experiences that I had there. Uh, but most of the experiences are related, uh, to my riding and, uh, and being led to certain places on the bike. And then once I get there, you know, incredible things happening or incredible things happening to me while I'm on the motorcycle. That's also happened. And, you know, I, I explain that in the book as well. What um what is the convergence between maybe biker culture and the paranormal? Is it is are there a lot of commonalities there? Do a lot of of the biker folks believe in paranormal topics? What what is your experience with that? Well, I think that uh, that people may that bikers may be a little more uh, open to it or may have experienced it a little more for the simple reason that being on a motorcycle is absolutely unlike any other form of transportation there is in that when you're on a motorcycle you can a guy can be mowing the grass two blocks away and you smell it in the air before you even get there and see him mowing right uh you feel all of the air and the environment on you you feel the weather and the changes in the weather you feel the heat if it's really hot you can feel it burning into your skin uh you feel the vibrations from the bike you feel the vibrations from the road um, you're just more alive and everything. You're just in contact with everything more. And I think that kind of opens up the senses, including the paranormal senses, to be receptive to at least the notion that, hey, there's a little bit of something out there because all bikers talk about that almost religious feeling you get when you ride. So I think it's a, a little more receptive there, and bikers are a little more 
uh, I think, receptive to uh, adventure riding and to going to out-of-the-way places and strange places and oddball places anyways, and so are at least open and receptive to the idea of the experience, if not the, uh, actually having some experiences for themselves. You had you made a comment that made my ears perk up uh, a moment ago. You said uh, you talked about experiences that happen while you're on the bike. Now you right. also just described how you you just feel more connected to the earth around you and the atmosphere and everything that's going on because you're you know you're in the open even though you're on a motorcycle. Right. But right. have you had some type of ghostly encounter or other paranormal type encounter when you've been on the bike? Oh man, several. Really, uh, one of the one of the most dramatic. Um, I had uh, I had been out for a. I used to go for rides of you know five hundred miles in a day was common. I used to ride between eighteen hundred two thousand miles a month every month wow. on the bike. Yeah, I got all over Florida and all over Georgia and uh, highways, byways, back roads, everything. Love every bit of it. And I had been on a long ride, and I was uh, probably two three hundred miles a day, and I was coming in, coming back home and coming down uh, I-95 south and stopped at one of my favorite rest stops. And I could see a storm coming, but it was it was slow enough moving and far enough away. I thought, well, I'm going to be able to outrun this. And um, I stopped at the rest stop and got me a snack and uh, got me a soda and was sitting there watching the storm. And it kind of began to snake around off to the, uh, uh, the uh, west uh, towards... Uh, coming around towards me, towards I-95, but it was still far enough away, and there was enough sunlight that I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to outrun this easily, no problem. So I got back on the bike and got onto the, uh, the own ramp to get onto 95, got onto 95, and I've ridden, you know, in every kind of condition there is, sleet, hail, snow, strong winds, everything. And the wind began to blow so strongly, so hard, that I was like, boy, we've either got a, a tornado coming up or, you know, it's it's something because the wind is really fierce. Well, the wind begins to blow so strongly that even the cars are slowing down to like 45, 50 miles an hour on I-95. Now, that in itself is a miracle because people on I-95 here drive like they're training for the Daytona 500. <laughs> so, so just to get them to slow down like that was incredible. So that's how strong the wind was. And I was really wrestling the bike to keep from the wind from blowing me over into the next lane. So as I'm going along, and I'm like 45, 50 miles an hour, as, as I'm going along, all of a sudden, me and the bike are picked up into the air. As Whoa. one unit, I didn't come up off the bike. Me and the bike were both picked up into the air. Now, I'm not talking like three or four feet, but maybe a good foot. And I can't say on the radio what went through my yeah. mind at that point. <laughs> and the, um, the, the wind or the force or the energy turned us slightly, just like it picked us up and was kind of turning it around, like you might pick something up and turn it around in your hand to look at it and inspect it. And I was like, you know, I've, I've always wanted to, to go out like this. Every biker says they want to die on the bike at speed. And I was like, well, here it is. I'm fixing to find out what the other side's like firsthand and hope somebody can take good care of my wife and comfort her. All these things are, are rapid fire going through my mind. Sure. And uh, because at this angle that I'm at, if this thing sets me down, I'm going over sideways at 50 miles an hour, and 10 cars are going to run over me before anybody gets stopped. So I'm like, okay, Spirit, this is it. Be with me, you know. And uh, it spun me back around to where I was not quite straight on the road, but still just a tiny bit off kilter and just gently set me back down. 
And I was like, holy cow. And I did some body English and got control of the bike. And up ahead in the field, uh, the wind was like rippling little small trees and grasses and everything, bending over completely sideways. And I was like, oh, man, there's got to be a tornado around somewhere. And I looked up, and there was a funnel cloud coming right straight down toward me. Mm. So I downshifted, wicked the bike up till the engine screamed, upshifted, and hit the throttle to the stops and leaned down over the tank. And I ran hot for several miles. I didn't care if there was a, a cop, highway patrol, anything. I was getting out of there. So I ran hot till till I, I got clear of everything. And it was still clear where I was riding. You know, it was still sunny and everything. So I was like, oh, man. So I had... Uh, this tattoo parlor I, I used to go to, I thought this was the most genius idea in the world. It was a bar that had a tattoo parlor. I said, man, how much better can it get? <laughs> so I had made a rule that I didn't imbibe while I was on the bike. And I said, man, after what I've just experienced, I'm going to break that rule. I'm going to have me a beer. And I was waiting for the uh, the tattoo artist to get there because she was running a special. And this was the day before Friday the 13th, which has always been a lucky day for me. Well, in honor of the 13th, you could get a 13 tattoo for $13. I was like, oh, man, i got to get this. So I'm waiting on her, and uh, she opens up the tattoo shop, and I go in to get my 13 tattoo. And uh, as I'm telling her this experience, I look out the window of the tattoo shop, and across the street is the exact funnel cloud that was snaking down towards me from out of the sky when I was back on 95 after I had just been picked up into the air. And it's coming across the street horizontally straight for the tattoo shop. Oh, wow. And I said, look. And she gets up and she gets to the window and looks. She says, looks like it followed you. And I said, <laughs> yeah, indeed. And it went on over the shop and it went on. Everything was fine. But, uh, you know, there are some very strong paranormal forces out there and you know you think i am this big tough biker and i've been in all these scrapes and i can take care of myself and i'm not afraid of nothing and man something just picks you in the bike up the air and turns you around and inspects you turns you back and forth and looks at you and says, mm, okay sets you back down you get the idea hey there's forces out there that could just snuff you in an eye blink if they wanted to and uh, i always tell people you know be respectful of the other side you don't have to be afraid of it but be respectful of it, you know. Don't challenge it. Don't curse it. Don't fling things at it. Because look what these energies can do. And so we need to to develop an immense respect for that. That's quite a story. I have to. I'm trying. You know, as as you're telling it, I'm thinking. Okay, well, what what was the intention there? Was the picking you up off the ground on the bike and then setting you back down? Was that to get your attention? Was that a warning? Was that in some way, did it save you from something that was in the road that you didn't see? What, what are your thoughts? It was just letting me know that the other side has this immense power and capability, which I have known all along but never experienced to quite that degree, and that they can, they can make you or break you. I mean, they could, you know, and they've saved my life many, many, many times, literally. And uh, it, it was just to say, hey, you know, look here, look what we can do, you know. And then for me to share that story and to pass that on and to explain to people, hey, you know, don't go out here challenging these forces and don't go out here screaming and yelling at these forces. There's some real powerful stuff out there. There's some real power in, powerful entities and energies out there. And this is what they can do if they choose to. So go with an attitude of respect. And, and I think that was the reason I received that, just to say, oh, wow, you know, hey, look what we can do. And then for me to convey that message other people and to encourage them to have a you know an attitude of respect well let me ask you a more fundamental question 
Uh, sure. This this is one that I don't think anybody can definitively answer, but I'm going to ask it just to get your opinion. What are we when we use the word ghost? What are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of labels and a lot of uh, designations given to that word. For me, a ghost can be the disembodied spirit of a person that was alive here on Earth and is not any longer, and they're choosing to hang around for whatever reason. Maybe they want to see a wrong righted, or maybe they've got a loved one they're hoping to guide or comfort or encourage. So to me, that's one definition of a ghost. A broader definition of a ghost could be uh, some energy, some entity that maybe wasn't human, but maybe is around a certain place for certain reasons. Uh, you know, the paranormal literature speaks of that in times of old about people interacting or working with certain entities or energies or spirits that are uh, germane to a particular area and invoking their guidance or protection or whatever. So I think that's another uh, a definition that could be successfully applied. Uh, another definition of ghost could be just uh, an uh, something that replays in the atmosphere, something that was imprinted on the atmosphere that replays, that doesn't necessarily interact uh, with anyone. That could be another broad definition. Uh, it could also be just a, a broad umbrella term for uh, nature spirits, guardian angels, various other entities and, and beings and things. So there's there's a lot of, of things you can apply to the word ghost, and you have to be pretty broad and you have to be pretty open with it because I've heard people say, well, um, a ghost is something that interacts with people. And then I've heard other people say, no, a ghost is just an imprint on uh, of an experience that happened and people experience that over and over and that's all it is. It's like a film playing over and over. Well, that doesn't make sense because, you know, most of the time there is some interaction and so you can't just narrow these labels down and say, you know, a ghost is this and not that, that, and that. You know, right. it, it, it's not, you can't pigeonhole it that easily. Have you had any experience with demonic activity or any possession of any kind? You know, not to, not the way that uh, that Hollywood portrays it. You know, right. people is out there, obviously. All you got to do is read the newspapers every day to see that we live in a world filled with evil. Obviously not everything on the other side, therefore, can be good. Uh, you know, uh, taking that, uh, extrapolating that concept further. But I've never experienced the Hollywood demon. I've never experienced, you know, some um, super scary haunting or whatever, anything that I perceived as dangerous. Uh, I had a lady one time tell me when I was filming the TV pilot, we took a break in the filming, and uh, this lady said, oh, I've got to talk to you, I've got to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she said, this ghost tried to kill me. I said, oh, no ghost tried to kill you. Yes, this ghost tried to kill me. I was in my kitchen, and I was across from the cupboard, and this plate came sailing across and crashed into the, the wall a few feet away from me and broke. This ghost tried to kill me. I said, the ghost didn't try and kill you. The ghost trying to get your attention. I said, the other side has been trying to get your attention for some time to, to get you in the frame of mind where they can guide you and help you and communicate with you, and you won't pay attention. And finally, it's like, okay, you'll pay attention to this, by God. <laughs> and I said, that's all it was. The ghost wasn't trying to kill you. If the ghost tried to kill you, you'd be dead. So, you know, we have all these these fears and things that uh, I, I just, I get so tickled at people. Anything that happens, paranormal, has to be evil, has to be demonic, has to be of the devil, there has to be a demon involved. Why? Well, because I'm scared of it, or my religion says so, or I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a paranormal investigator who said, you know, and it's, uh, like I say, I, I don't find that out there. I find a lot of things that, like this lady, people misinterpret or misconstrue, but um, 
you know, look, we're dealing with an invisible realm here that occasionally does become visible, but in that communication process, we have to learn uh, what is going on there and how to communicate and how different things communicate. Uh, you know, the ghost of your, your grandfather is going to communicate in a different way than a nature spirit is. And uh, if you take that as something different and odd and spooky, uh, it's too easy to slap the demonic label on it when it's not. It's just a different way of communication. You know, there are different intelligences out there and different entities and different ways of thinking out there. And uh, we have to be open and receptive to that understanding of that when we're doing this kind of work. There are a lot of uh, different versions of ghostly activity, you know, over the years. I'm sure you've heard many, many. I, I know I have. But one of the questions that, that uh, often comes up is why do some spirits manifest themselves in some type of ghostly activity, but others don't? Um, what's happening on the other side, John? Do we have any idea that some people come back in a ghostly form and others don't? Well, you know, that has to do with what the person on the other side is doing, what they want to do. Uh, you know, they go on with their lives, their learning, their whatever. And one of the easiest ways to answer that question that for me has become the most meaningful over the years is that there are times that a person on the other side could come and reveal something to us, but we would poo-poo it, discount it, we're not ready for it, we wouldn't understand it, couldn't understand it, and they may have to wait till our life has progressed to the point that we're in a time frame that their manifestation or their communication uh, could be meaningful to us. And one quick example I can give you that I had a client that I'd read for for a number of years, and he was always like, do you get anything from my grandparents? Do you get anything from my grandparents on the other side? And nothing, never a bit, not a description, not a clue, not a absolutely nothing. And... Um, then one day during the reading, I said, oh, my God, I think I've got your grandparents. He's really, really. I said, yeah, don't say anything. Just listen to me and then tell me if I'm right or wrong here. And so I gave him a physical description of each one of them. He said, oh, my God, that's them. That's them. And, and what do they have to say? What do they have to tell me? So I waited for the message. Nothing. And I thought, man, this is strange. After all of this time, all of these years, to suddenly manifest and to be accurately, get an accurate description. I give this guy, he said, yes, that's them exactly to the T. And then no message, nothing. And he'd been just craving, waiting for this message forever. And we were both just dumbfounded. And then several weeks, maybe even several months went by, still nothing, still nothing, still nothing. And uh, he called me one day and he said, boy, I've just found out something about a certain family member. And I got to tell you, this, this just breaks my heart. And uh, I've found out that this family member has been lying to me, been deceiving me, misleading me, is not to be trusted. And uh, with that, his grandparents came through and they had this same message plus some illumination of what was actually going on with this family member and that indeed they could not be trusted, that that was the case. So if they had come through early on before he had found out this bit of information for himself and I'd told him that, you know, nah, you know, right. that, that didn't make any sense. But then when that doorway was open, they came through and they gave him that bit of information, confirmed it, plus added more. He was ready to receive it. The time was right. And then they started coming through pretty regular. you know, uh, tell him I used to make this for him. That was his favorite dish, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of times the time has to be right for things, for people to make a communication with us. The other thing is people communicate with us a lot. We ignore it. Uh, you know, count it to be coincidence or 
uh, say, oh, well, you know, no, nothing to that, just my wishful thinking. And so we, we kind of shut the door to these communications that are coming all, this, all the time. So I think that there's um, a lot of communication there that we just are not aware of, that we could become aware of. And then again, you know, people on the other side, they're, they're busy doing their thing, and look, they're not at our beck and call. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make, and I mentioned this in the book, is that we think the other side is just sitting there like a happy puppy dog <laughs> wagging its tail waiting for us to command it, you know, give me this, give me that, do this, do that. And that's the furthest thing from the truth, you know. A lot of times the other side is saying, hey, Dumbo, do this. You need to be aware of this and doing this. You know, and we're so wrapped up in our day-to-day and so wrapped up in our belief system that we miss a lot of messages, I'm convinced. Another listener question in our chat room. Uh, do you believe that there are human spirits and non-human entities? And if so, do you know how, what's the best way to tell the difference between the two? Oh, absolutely. I do believe that. I've experienced that. There are uh, human entities, spirits, ghosts, you know, the people that have lived and then passed on. And then there are like nature spirits, uh, I think guardian angels, uh, so on and so forth. I think there's. It's, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. But one way you might be able to tell the difference is if uh, something conveys information to you in a way that you can identify as belonging to a person that was here on Earth, then you know you're reasonably sure it's that person. Uh, if there's some force that lifts you up on the bike and turns you around the air and inspects you and sits you back down, uh, that's a, a pretty powerful entity of some kind. That's not a, a human, a human spirit, human being. Um, and then there are nature spirits. There are things. One of the most incredible things I'll have to tell you this: I, um, I, I haven't talked about this uh, this experience a lot, but it was one of the most incredible I've had. I, I like to sit out at night here and watch the night skies, and I watch the UFOs goofing around doing their thing. And uh, I was sitting there one night, and this glowing object flew from the house across the street from over its rooftop. It was only a few feet above its rooftop. So not that that high off the ground, and it flew straight from their house right to mine. And I'm, you know, where we sit outside, I have a a courtyard with a bird cage over it, so you can see all the sky. It's all open and everything. And uh, and this thing is flying towards my house, and it's glowing, and it's two three feet long, and it's it's like lit up from within, or it like has an aura around it. And as it gets closer, I can see that it's a winged fairy. It's a little, if you take Tinkerbell mm-hmm. and put her up there in the sky glowing and about two, three feet long and little wings flying, that was exactly what I saw. And, and I you're, not anywhere to, you're not anywhere near, near the Magic Kingdom, are you, John? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen, yeah. I've seen <laughs> Tinkerbell. Kingdom every day. I've seen but, Tinkerbell uh, so, flying through the air at the Magic Kingdom. So, just yeah, to be there clear. you go. <laughs> so there are these spirits, these entities, these beings out there that are obviously not human, that obviously do interact. And uh, I didn't get anything from that other than, holy cow, look at that. They are real. And, uh, you know, that's even even psychics have to be convinced sometime. Like I mentioned in my book, when I had my first UFO experience, I didn't believe in UFOs. I had had all these paranormal experiences and I had exercised my psychic gift accurately for all those years, but I didn't believe in UFOs. I'd read the literature. I'd heard people talk. Nope, didn't believe it. And then it happened to me, and I was like, okay, got to change, got to change yeah. religions now. Got to change my denomination here. Yeah, uh, we're going to run out of time here, John. What do you want people to take away from the book when they read it? You know, one thing, it's a fun read. People are saying, man, this is a page-turner. I had a blast. Couldn't put it down. I was sad for it to end. So you're going to have a good time reading the book. It's not preachy. It's not full of a lot of heavy nonsense. It's just good, practical, down-to-earth, 
uh, here's what happened and what I gleaned from it and what you might get from it. And so people, I think, will get some uh, some insight into the spiritual realm, a little bit about how it works, what they can apply to their own lives, uh, take something from the stories and say, hey, what can I learn from this? What can I glean from this? Uh, what can I do in my life to further explore this or add to my own investigations or explorations or experiences? So I think they'll get some useful things here. And like I say, it's an eye-opening book. You're gonna Nobody has ever read anything like this book. And that's not a rash statement because when you uh, get published, the, all publishers, agents, editors, everybody will tell you, give me comp books. And they, they say, don't tell me your book is unique and there's nothing like it because there's always a similar book in the genre. So give me complimentary books. And this, I told people, I said, there's nothing like this. And this uh, publisher friend of mine uh, looked at the manuscript and he said, there is literally nothing like this out there. <laughs> so that, <laughs> and it isn't. This is one of the most unique books you'll ever read. So you'll have fun with it. You'll learn some things. Uh, I've had people tell me, man, I laughed, I cried, I, you know. Uh, so it's it's a fun read, and I hope people just enjoy it. And uh, it's available, like I say, it's, you can get it in paperback or ebook form. Where? Where can people get it? It's you can go to Amazon get on my website. I've got links to uh, to Amazon. You can get it there in paperback or Kindle. You can get it at Barnes and Noble in paperback or Nook. Uh, Walmart's carrying it online. Books a Million carries it online. Um, so on and so forth. Google Books has has links to it. Uh, Amazon's put it all over the world now. They put it on their Japanese site, their Indian site, their Spanish sites, uh, all over. So it's out there. And uh, like I say, you can go to my website, which is writingwithghost.net. And I've got links there to Amazon where you can buy it, to Barnes & Noble, to Walmart, wherever you want to get it. And uh, I, I'd appreciate folks taking a look at it. Now, the other website, johnrussell.net, you offer readings and do other services for people as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. If somebody wants a reading, they go to that website. And then the the rates and everything are there. And my, my short history biography, everything's there, my qualifications, credentials. I've got over 80 client testimonials on that website. And uh, they can they can find everything they need there if they want to get a reading. And then if they want the book, they can just go to writingwithghost.net and all the information is there to get the book. And I hope a lot of people pick up copies. I need to be able to order some French fries with my hamburger. <laughs> here's, a, here's, here's a question that I like asking to close out a conversation like this with somebody who has these sensitivities and has uh, basically an open channel to the other side and some insights from the other side. We're living in very, very unique times, uh, at least for us. It may not be, you know, in the the course of human history, maybe not, but for us, certainly in our lifetimes. For us it is, yeah. You know, and we're seeing not just, you know, this pandemic and other angsts around the world, you know, we're in the middle of the most contentious presidential election in my right. lifetime. I know, I'm right. probably many. How do you how do you advise people? What are things that people can do to help, maybe from a spiritual sense, get through some of this? You know, I, I think that we have to recognize, and this is not being melodramatic or anything, but we are in dark times. These are some perilous times, and I think we do have a, a spiritual battle, a spiritual conflict that we contend with. And I would encourage people to take seriously praying, pray, meditate, work for the good, work for the light, work for something positive, and work to dispel uh, the forces that are trying to disrupt things and trying to uh, to tear things apart. You know, there's obviously these negative and destructive forces out there, and they do manifest through people, and they do manifest through other other means. But we have the ability 
to to bring the light to bear on that. You know, we can pray, we can meditate, we can work through spiritual uh, spiritual techniques and means to uh, to overcome that, and we're going to have to do it. Uh, we can't just sit and say, well, you know, God, I hope we're going to be all right. Well, let's make ourselves be all right. Um, and during these times of, that are so difficult, watch what you allow in your mind, what we think on, what we dwell on, what we allow in, what we allow to grow in our thought processes, that can come to dominate us. So stay away from things that are nasty and filthy. Stay away from fear. Stay away from destructive things. Be very, very careful what you think on and what you allow in your mind and what you allow your emotions to feed on and experience. Be very careful of who you allow in your circle of friends. And the people around you can uh, depress you and, and bring negative influences, negative vibrations and energies to you. So this is a time that we have to be on guard for our minds, our souls, our spirits, um, you know, do everything you can to be positive, to stay away from evil and negativity. Don't let fear enter your mind. Counteract that with faith. Counteract that with prayer. Counteract that with good spiritual energies and, and good things. And keep yourself in a positive mind. And then, you know, we have to work. We have to fight against this darkness spiritually, physically, if necessary, whatever we have to do. And uh, I think it can be turned around. But, yeah, we're in some contentious times probably will be for a while before everything kind of semi-lines out again. And we can't just sit back and watch it happen. We have to be active participants in controlling it and making it uh, become better. John, thanks for being with us tonight. It was a great conversation. I appreciate your expertise, and I appreciate you joining us. Uh, JV, I've enjoyed it tremendously. Hope you invite me back again. It's been a great time. appreciate all the people that have listened. And um, bless your heart. Appreciate it. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.